is fine. You might as well jump in. John chapter 10, verse 14. If you have it, say amen. John chapter 10. I don't have it, so I didn't say amen. There we go. <clears throat> We're going to read 14 through 16. And this is part two of the message that I started last week where we talked about how to hear God's voice. And if you haven't had a chance to watch that, I need you to go back home on YouTube, on podcasts, because that's really going to set some practical and tangible foundation for some of the spiritual truths that I'm going to teach you about the prophetic uh, tonight. And then next week, we're going to talk a message called a prophetic character because I see too many prophets who are proud. Where they do that at? I see too many prophets who do not have the spirit of Jesus. And so next week, because you, you ought not be scared when a prophet comes. Either there's something wrong with your spirit or theirs. Because the spirit of Jesus, or excuse me, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That means that the spirit of prophecy, what, motivate it, what motivates it, what's behind it, is the testimony of Jesus. That when I walk away from a prophetic moment, I should feel closer to him, not farther. So next week, we're going to talk about prophetic character, because one thing we're not going to have is parking lot prophets. All right, did I say John chapter 10 yet? Verse 14 through 16, I am the good shepherd. This is Jesus speaking. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock, one shepherd. God, we thank you for your word, and I pray that as I teach this, that you don't need to bless your word, God, because it's already blessed, but anoint me to preach it, your people to receive it, and at the end of the day, may you be glorified, your people edified, and the devil horrified. And we say this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, let's give the Lord one more hand clap. Thank you, worship team. Yo, y'all make sure y'all take pictures of me too and quote me because I look cute. Y'all don't understand how hard it is to be chubby and cute and consistent. I'm all of them, <laughs> at least on Sundays. We've been on this journey talking about the word of the Lord in the beginning stages. We talked about the biblical word of the Lord. And now we've transitioned to talking about the prophetic word of the Lord. And quite often we put them almost combatively against each other. But if it's truly the word of the Lord, both of them hold just as much weight. The reason that we tend to elevate the scriptures is because we do know that we are in the flesh, that we are humans, and at times we miss it. And so the scripture becomes our guide for hearing and clarifying the word of the Lord. But when we talk about the prophetic word of the Lord, when it is God, uh, it is a pungent and powerful thing. Quite often, we have relegated prophecy to just a few special people. Instead of, instead of reading what Paul said in Corinthians when he's talking to the church about the gifts of the Spirit, and he says, you shall desire or you should pursue spiritual gifts. Let's stop there for a second. Many of us grew up in the environment where we were taught the opposite. This is why you should read the Bible and not just what your pastor preaches. The reason I say that is because I grew up in the kind of atmosphere where they told me stuff like, don't worship God because of his stuff. But then I read over in Psalms 103 where David's worshiping God and he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and watch this, forget not all of his benefits. David actually gives us permission to worship God because of the stuff that he's done. 
Just as Paul gives us permission to seek God, yeah, we want to seek God for who he is. We, we don't want to stay at his hand, but you've got to understand that his hand is close to his face. And if you seek what's in his hand, it won't be too long before you see his face. And Paul says, I want you to seek after the gifts in the book of Corinthians. But he says, this is what should motivate your desire for the gifts. Because he says, after you've sought after the gifts, above all of them, I wish that you would pursue the gift of prophecy. And he says, because when someone hears you speaking in tongues, it doesn't edify them. It only edifies you uh, as you speak to the Lord and only the Lord can understand. But when you begin to prophesy and you put people's business out there with the spirit of Jesus, he says that you'll be able to draw men unto yourself or rather unto the Lord. But he says, it's all because we want to expose the love of God. So we're not seeking gifts so that we'll be special or we'll be seen or because we weren't validated growing up. So the pulpit is our season of validation. And so let's be super gifted. Paul says, if you're going to seek after the gifts, do it, but make sure it's for the right reasons. And the right reason is love, love for the Lord and love for people. One of the things that I tell our leaders about Sunday is that when we come, we come to minister to two types of people or excuse me, two beings. We come to minister to people and we come to minister to the Lord, that everything that we do should be motivated by love. If you look in the areas where you're in despair, where things are not working out, just go and find love. Find your ability to give love, find your ability to receive love, and you'll begin to course correct some of the things that you're going through because love is a strong thing. Now, I know you can't admit it because it's been a long time since you've been on a date, but love makes you do crazy things. All right, I got no witnesses. Y'all been married too long. Let me remind you what it used to be like. Love will make you buy roses you can't afford. And send them to a job for a woman that she doesn't like, for a woman who keeps rejecting you. Something about love just makes you a simp. Somebody's like, he's telling his own testimony. Let me free myself. Love makes you stand outside a window in the middle of the night playing radio music in hopes that she'll hear you. Radios, young people, are these gadgets that we used to. <laughs> I'm always messing with the Gen Zers. If we're not motivated by love, that's when we get into trouble because we become motivated by our own conceit, our own selfish desires. But Paul says that it's okay to seek after the gifts and especially above all the gifts, I want you to seek after prophecy for ministry's sake so that we can display the love of God. For me personally, I've always desired the gift of prophecy and a move in the prophetic because I saw above everything else, this seemed to be the gift that would help confirm uh, the goodness of God in one's life. If somebody got healed, yeah, God bless him and all that kind of stuff. But I've watched uh, prophetic moments where somebody's mail is getting read and all their businesses on Front Street and they're confronted with the love of God. And it seems to confirm the reality of God's goodness. Even in your own life, you and I both know that God is real. There's no doubt about it, but we have our moments. And even for us, when we get that prophetic word just in the nick of time, what happens? It reassures us of the reality of who God is. If you're still with me, say yes. With that said, as a community who's going to be ministering, it's important that we don't become a practical church. One of the most dismaying things in the last season is that we raised up practical preachers for supernatural faith. If your faith is void of the supernatural or the desire to move in the supernatural, you've not fully accessed the gospel. Because yes, the gospel comes to save, but he also comes to heal. He also comes to deliver. He also comes to set free. And he's just bad enough to do it all in one swoop. And it's important that we begin to seek after the supernatural. And I understand that it's been done poorly. But you've gone to a restaurant and gotten food poisoning. You still go into restaurants. 
Just because someone's used the gifts and the teachings of scriptures poorly doesn't mean that there's something right, uh, that there's not something that God actually wants to do. So I'll give it to you. In the day of Facebook, you can do enough research to become a prophet. I've seen them fake it. I've watched them on the stage looking up Facebook profiles while they're getting ready to prophesy to the crowd. And I'll talk next week about the judgment that's heaped when you uh, falsely prophesied. But just because it's been done wrong, just because uh, it, we've had a poor experience, doesn't mean that we need to course correct and, and not believe that the prophetic is real. The prophetic is absolutely real. It's a biblical gift. For those who think that miracles have stopped, because there's a cessationist doctrine that says that miracles have ceased, explain to me how salvation keeps going. Unless you don't believe that salvation is a miracle, and the truth of it in theological disposition, I don't mean to talk too fast, but take notes quicker, when we come to theology, we have to understand that salvation as a miracle is the greatest miracle of all. And if that miracle is consistently continuing to go on, help me understand the logic that all other miracles have ceased. One of the arguments is that the reason that the gifts of the Spirit were poured out in the New Testament church was to establish the church. And I thought to myself, isn't that how we should still establish the church? That if it was good enough for the book of Acts and the New Testament church to be built on signs and wonders and allowing that to draw people in, why isn't it good for us? And if we look at New Testament converts compared to the converts that we make today, let me look at my notes and see if I have a different sermon. Let me cover a few points before I dive into the, the points for today. But let me finish that thought. If it was good enough to establish the New Testament church in the book of Acts, shouldn't we be establishing the church today through the gifts of the Spirit? Because here's what I'm concerned about. That we are preaching about a God that we can understand. We are preaching about a God that we can wrap our minds around. There should be something in each and every one of our lives. If we are serving the supernatural God of Scripture, there should be something in our life that we cannot explain. There ought to be something that we can point to and say, I don't know, it's just God. How do you have peace that surpasses understanding? A supernatural God. How do you have joy and your parents just passed away? It's a supernatural God. How do you have provision even though you've lost your job and everybody else got laid off? You don't understand about favor, but it's a supernatural thing with the God that I serve. There should be something. I'm trying not to preach because I'm trying to teach today, but let me encourage you. There should be something in your life, in your spirit that you can point to and say this is God and God alone. If we say that we serve a supernatural God. With that said, let me do a little review because I didn't get to dive into this too much last week because of the sake of time. But I won't dive into the full notes from last week. You can go ahead and watch those later this week. But I ended about talking about a few things that get in the way of hearing the voice of God. Number one, sin. Write that down. Sin is one of the biggest things that keeps us from being able to hear from God. Now, I know that we believe that sin separates us from the love of God, but let me assure you that the psalmist wrote to us and said that if we ascend to the highest hills of heaven, that God will still be with me. But if we make our bed in hell, God will still be there. That, the, that sin doesn't separate us from the love of Christ. I believe that it separates us from access to all that the gospel has purchased for us. Because I'm going to say a bad word. It's a four-letter word, holy. He still is a holy God. 
And I know our generation doesn't like it because we like to think of grace as the ability to sin and get over it. But anybody who has a real theological understanding of what grace is, you realize that it's twofold. That yes, God spreads grace like a five-year-old spreads peanut butter. He gets it over everything. There's grace for every sin. I don't care how nasty you were. I know you can't tell your testimony, but you and I know you used to be nasty. There's grace for all of that sin. But the flip side of grace, calm down, Dale. The flip side of grace is that it gives you the ability to not sin. Have you ever heard the term, somebody used grace in this term, I had the grace to do it. I had the grace to preach. I had the grace to sing. Because the other side of grace is an empowerment to live a godly life, right? So I say this because I'm watching so many people who can't hear the voice of God who are also living in sin. It's hard to try to hear a God that you don't desire to actually obey. Maybe some of us aren't hearing God because he knows that we're not going to listen. All right. Maybe you'll like the other points. Number two, one of the things that keeps us from hearing the voice of God is soul ties. What do I mean by soul ties? I'm talking about things in your soul, and we talked about that last week, and I'm going to do a refresher course later. We talked about the soul and being tied up, Whether and I know a lot of times we think of that as sexual soul ties, and that's a big deal. You can have soul ties with a, a, a sexual partner, partner or romantic partner. It's that thing where, man, it's been five years, and I've prayed, and I've asked for deliverance, and I can't get it over. It's just because there needs to be a soul tie broken, but some of you have soul ties, ungodly soul ties with your parents. What does that have to do with anything, Pastor Dell? It's hard to hear from God when you have this soul tie that keeps drawing you away from the will of the Lord. And I've counseled so many people who have more fear of their parents than they have of the Lord. And we've been taught a poor theology that means to honor our parents is to obey them. But some of your parents are ungodly and I refuse to obey them. I'm going to talk strong tonight, so buckle up your seatbelts. Because if I, I'm just tired of us living from Sunday to Sunday. At some point, we got to start doing this thing. we got to start walking it out. And so when I talk about soul ties, I'm not just talking about soul ties with a romantic relationship. I'm talking about a soul tie with anybody. Some of us have soul ties with old bosses. We have soul ties with people that we've never had sex with that we need to break because it's an ungodly attachment. That's what they call it in the world. In the spirit, they call it a soul tie. Quite often, that makes it difficult to hear from God. Number three, if you taking notes is a clutter of voices a clutter of voices what do I mean by that some of us have too many mentors I hear people laughing that means I'm being cutthroat today let me calm down some of us have a lot of mentors because we haven't found Jesus to be a strong enough one in our life Del you said you were gonna calm down let me try it one more time Say it differently. Say it nicer. Um, it's out there already. All right. Um, I, was, I was mentoring a, a young lady, and she just had so much confusion in her life. And at one of the meetings, I just stopped, and I said, girl, why do you keep, you're so double-minded. We're going back and forth. And she started saying, well, you know, I've got this mentor at work, and they told me this, and then I've got this mentor at church, and they told me this, and I've got this. And I had to stop and go, what did Jesus say? I believe in mentors. I believe in therapists. I believe every Christian needs several but at the end of the day, some of us have too many voices, and it's beginning to clutter the voice of the Lord because we're having to filter it through what our pastor thinks, through what our friends think, through all of our mentor, and there's a clutter of voices. And I believe, listen, in, in, in the multitude of counsel, there is wisdom. I believe in that. But there are moments you've got to pull away and say, God, not what are you saying to me through them. What are you saying to me? 
If you believe that, say yes. So a clutter of voices. Some of us need to stop asking everyone their opinion all the time and start asking the opinion of heaven. Number four is fear. Fear is the most acceptable sin in the church today. We don't even believe that it's sin. And many of us can't hear the voice of God because the sound of fear in our spirit is muting the voice of God. But Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says, because I know you hellfire brimstone preachers love to preach this scripture because it talks about those who are going to be in the lake of fire. And yes, it talks about drunkards and it talks about whoremongers and murderers. But you know who the first on the list is? Cowards. That's New King James. I didn't write it. I'm just following the rules. He says that cowards are going to have their part. Did you know in heaven there are no punks? And some of us have embraced fear as our identity. And we call it insecurity. It's fear. We call it timidity. It's fear. And maybe we can't hear the word of the Lord because we're not actually willing to let go of the very things that we're afraid of. All right? Next week, i got to preach something more encouraging. What number am I on? Five? Unreconciled relationships. Unreconciled relationships. I know they offended you, and you believe that you have the right to be offended. But some of us don't understand that unreconciled relationships are actually holding back the voice or the ability for us to clearly discern the word of the Lord. Some of you need to forgive your old pastors. Do you know how many people I talk to try to give the word of the Lord, but they can't receive it from me because I'm projecting onto them hurt that's undealt with from previous churches? All right. Ooh, that one sent a cold wind. Let me move quick. Last one. Help me, Jesus. I'm all by myself. Is impatience. Most of us don't know how to wait on the Lord. Last week, we waited probably for about an hour after service and barely anybody budged. And we learned how to sit and wait on the Lord. And some of us don't hear God because we're not waiting on him. Can I just tell you something? I don't care how well you tithe. I was supposed to take the offering. I'll do that in a minute. We're supposed to take the offering. Some of you think that you're okay because you tithe and you stay faithful, but you haven't learned how to wait on him. Some of you are afraid of the silence. Psalms 27 verse 14 says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And again, I say, wait on the Lord. I ask the Lord, why would I need courage to wait? Do you know how hard it is to wait? Do you know how courageous you have to be to not move until God tells you to move? Some of us do not hear from the Lord because we're too impatient to hear from the Lord because we want him to speak now. But God is not your prostitute. He does not have to move at the sound of your voice. He will wait to ask you, how bad do you want it? I know some of you don't believe that Jesus will ever offend you, but there was a woman whose child was sick and came to him and said, can you heal my sick child? And Pastor Jesus, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, metrosexual Pastor Jesus, looked at her and said, I've not come to give you healing because it's not for the dogs. And I love what this woman said. She said, okay, that's fine. Call me whatever you want to, but one thing you're not going to do is offend me out of my breakthrough. Pastor Jesus. And some of us are too offended to hear from the Lord. We're too uh, impatient to hear from the Lord. And we let all these things. And what would happen if we just learned how to wait? Maybe the voice of the Lord is on the other side of our impatience. You know why we don't like to wait? And you can write this down if you're taking notes. Because we think that we can do more in our striving than he can do in our resting. Because if I don't do it, how is it going to get done? But here's what the Lord is saying. Learn how to wait on me. Oh, but God, come on. Five minutes a day to keep the devil away is all I got. And that's the level of blessing that you'll get. 
But if you want more from him, you're going to have to learn how to spend quantity and quality. I talked about this last week because all, all the wives in here, do you want quantity or quality? And every woman who's a good woman will say, I want both. I don't want either or. It's not a question. I want good times and I want lots of good times. And the Lord says the same thing. It's not quality or quantity. Yeah, make sure the times that you spend together with me are pungent. But also sometimes you need to make room in your schedule to just sit down for two hours and say, Lord, speak for your servant is listening. Hamburgers, French fries. What am I going to do tomorrow? And somewhere about minute number 45, your spirit begins to calm. And all of a sudden you start actually hearing from the Lord. What would happen if you learn, even in your practical devotional time, how to wait on the Lord until the voice is quiet down? Until the thing that you're scared of, you're actually able to admit it and give it to him. All right, now let me jump right into the heavy part of this teaching. Some of y'all are like, where were we right there? We talked about John chapter 10, and I promise we're we're not going to be super long. We talked about John chapter 10, and there's a revelation to be had there because Jesus is actually talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders at the time, and he's saying how the sheep that are his are separated from the sheep that are not, and he says, this is the indicating factor, that my sheep hear my voice, and a stranger They will not follow. I told you last week, I don't know anything about shepherding, but Google does. And so I Googled about shepherding, and I saw the differences between the type of shepherding that's done today and the shepherding that was done uh, back then. Nowadays, we use drones, and we use that to herd the sheep and the cattle. But back in the day, a shepherd was not actually a good job for Jewish people. They were looked down upon almost as much as pig farmers were looked down upon because if you were a shepherd, you had to spend 24 hours a day every day with the sheep. And that meant that you had to work on the Sabbath. And because of the religious law, the culture would have looked down on you. So when Jesus is even stopping, and I just want to say this because this is going to make me happy, but I wore the wrong pants to be able to run through those doors. Uh, The reason Jesus picks a shepherd is because he's trying to teach the church that I'm getting ready to redeem and redefine that which the world has thrown away, that I know culturally that you don't esteem shepherds very well. Doesn't that sound like 2021? But I am, he says this, the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. Here's how the sheep would know the voice of the shepherd. Because the shepherd would spend John so much time with the sheep, uh, it was understood that they would begin to recognize the familiarity of his voice. A good shepherd was so good, and this is why Jesus indicates I'm a good shepherd. That's actually something he's trying to tell us, that he's above average. Why? Because a good shepherd didn't just have the the entire sheep. Uh, They weren't the only ones who could recognize the voice. Watch this. That a shepherd could actually modify his voice with just a slight vocal change. And it would identify a specific sheep. And so you have 100 sheep, and he would change his voice just slightly. And one sheep would pop up and know that that word is directly for me. He could also give the the general voice, and everybody would know. Here's the beautiful thing about the word of the Lord. In a room like this, full of sheep, he can speak individually to each and every one of us. He can speak corporately, and he can speak individually at the same time because he's the good shepherd. I say that because many of us don't believe that God can speak to us. But if you're his sheep, I promise you, that you can hear from us. So here's the question. Not how do I hear God's voice? Write this down. How do I discern what he is saying? Because I can promise you that you hear God's voice already. The question is how do I discern what he's saying to me? Let me say this. I feel this by way of the spirit. 
I said this last week, but I found that God oftentimes speaks in rest and not striving. Because I sense this in the spirit that many of us are desperate to hear the voice of God and we're putting so much pressure to hear the specific direction because we've been taught a bad theology that God is mean and he doesn't want to speak to us and he's trying to trick us. And so we sit in every decision that we make, God, I'm going to spend 50,000 hours with you so I can figure out, should I go to this restaurant or not? We're living in Old Testament revelation of the identity of who we've been called to be in the New Testament. What do I mean? In Old Testament, they were slaves to the Lord. Jesus comes on the scene and says, you've been made friends. You're actually, you have freedom to choose. I, I knew a guy back in the day when I was uh, first uh, a, a beginner pastor. I was a lot nicer, believe it or not. And so I put up with a lot more crap. And so this guy wasted all my time trying to testify to me about how well God spoke to him every single day about what to wear. And I told him I, in my head, because I was a Christian, uh, I was a better one back then. I said, that's a spirit, but not the spirit. You mean to tell me the spirit's going to waste his time talking to you every single day about what clothes that you should wear? Now I believe he'll speak to you because obviously. <laughs> Just put that out. There. I believe it's possible. But we like that revelation because we like the assumption that we're slaves to God and that we have to do exactly only what he's called me to do. What if it's possible that he says, you can actually choose? There's a whole lot in your life that you don't have to wait. And I'm, I'm going to mess up a lot of y'all theology because you've been holding on to this since you were a little kid in VBS. But let me just slap you around a little bit. Many of you have relegated the spirit of the Lord to telling you about big decisions when in actuality the reason you can't hear God's direction is because he says it's your choice. God, come on, what school should I go to? Which one do you want to go to? You mean I actually have choice? There are areas, it's so quiet in this Presbyterian church, but there are so many areas where we are asking God to speak to us where he's saying, no, you speak to me. Tell me what you want to do. Look, some of us are nervous because that's so bold. He said, come to me humbly, but boldly. I felt like I needed to just take that prophetic commercial real quick. Let me give you a few ways, and we'll run through this. A few ways, and this is not all the ways, because let me, let me say it, because I'm going to give you a, a list of ways that I believe that God uses to speak to us. But let me say that God is not relegated to this small list. He's an infinite God who can speak however and whenever he wants. I just want to give a few little pointers and guidelines, and you can go home into your own study, and I'm sure that you'll find more ways that God can speak to you. But number one, God speaks to us through the scriptures. God speaks to us through the scriptures. And I want to clarify this. A lot of times we ask the wrong question. Is that in the scriptures? That's the wrong question. The question we want to learn how to ask is, is that antithetical to scripture, to the theme of scripture? Um, I say that because there are some things that we, don't, that we do today that are okay but are not in scripture. There were no computers in the Bible. No projectors in the Bible. Well, where's the projectors in the Bible? We're not asking, is it in the Bible? What we're asking is, is there something in Scripture that is anti what I think I'm hearing or doing? Does that make sense? So when we use the Scripture, it's a guideline for us to test, is there anything in Scripture that... Um, is antithetical to what I'm feeling. So I'll give you a great example. This happens all the time. People come to me and say, the Lord's, I think the Lord uh, wants me to be in a relationship with that guy over there. He doesn't go to church. He can't spell the Lord. And he has no plans on getting unsaved. Well, you know, I just know the Lord spoke to me. I know you believe that, but Scripture is literally against everything that you're saying right now. 
I've had people come to me, you know, the Lord showed me that that's my wife. Actually, that's his wife. <laughs> Y'all not ready for ministry at Collide City Church. It's going to be fun. Tell you everybody's business. And the reason that's important is because we have to make sure that what we're hearing is actually not against the principles and teachings of Scripture. But then you ask the question, well, Lord, should I go to, you know, Harvard or Yale? Yale or Harvard are not in the Scripture. So if you oversimplify the question, you'll actually make it harder for you to discern what God is trying to tell you. The last thing I want to say is that you have to become biblically astute so that you can discern between your cultural convictions and your biblical convictions. I grew up in the church where they told me the spirit of the Lord didn't want women to wear pants. That is your cultural conviction, not your biblical one. Not just culture in that sense, but even church culture. You know, we didn't have 45 minutes of worship at my church. Well, this isn't your church, first of all. But second of all, the question we want to ask is what you're feeling, does it go against the culture that you know? Or are there biblical things that tell us we shouldn't worship for 45 minutes? Are you seeing the difference there? I'm trying to help you to discern. And and not just that, but oftentimes God will use the scriptures, use the Bible, highlight, highlight it by way of the spirit, and actually speak directly to us. Now, I know we make fun, and this isn't a wise thing to do. But you ever do one of those things like, Lord, speak to me. And you shall burn the fat before the Lord. That can't be the Lord. That, <laughs> I ain't going to the gym even if the Lord came down and brought an angel to drive me. And geez, <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Now, now, that's funny, but what I found is that as I'm devotionally reading the scripture, what begins to happen is that God will highlight something. And he'll, by way of his spirit, and I'll just sense that this is the Lord. But I got to, and I, let me watch my snappy comments, but let me just say this. Many of us don't know enough scripture for God to actually speak to us. Because scriptures are the vocabulary of heaven. You can give me a mic almost any time, and I've got enough scripture in me to declare the word of the Lord. And this is why many of us lean on our emotional leanings and our empathy, because we do not have the spirit of the Lord or scripture in us to, y'all don't like me today. Um, the, you can't get out of you what's not in you. And the way that we come to know who the Lord is is actually through Scripture. And many of us are saying that we love a Lord, that we love a God that we do not know. You cannot love what you do not know. All right. The, another way that God begins to speak to us is through our senses or sensory. How many feelers, empaths, empathetic people do we have? Let me see you wave. Let me see you wave. All right. A lot of times God will use, and I've even experienced this, where the Lord will use my senses physically, emotionally, and in my body. There were times I remember being in um, uh, uh, Bacola, Philippines, and I was prophesying, and all of a sudden the Lord, uh, I, I felt one of my eyes have this crazy strong strain. And so I knew that the Lord was actually speaking to me that he wanted to heal eyes. That night there was a young kid named Tommy. He was probably about five or six, a young toddler kid, and he came up and his eyes were gray and he was completely blind. We began to pray for him and nothing happened. Now, most people gave up, but I heard the Lord. So I didn't give up because many of us think opposition is a sign that God's not in it, but it's just a sign that the devil is in it too. Y'all like that, huh? All right. Um, 
And so because I had a word from the Lord, I knew I was to stick Gina with this kid. And we kept praying. It took maybe, I don't know, four or five hours. But we watched his eyes turn completely from gray back to brown. And little Tommy, I'm guessing, can still see today. But that was based on the Lord speaking to me using my physical senses. And some of us are uncomfortable with this because we're not comfortable with the idea of partnering with God. But God actually doesn't want to do all the work. (laughs) He's not lazy. He's just trying to strengthen and mature you. And so God actually a lot of times will want to partner with you. Other times there's been moments, and, and you'll feel this when you start discerning the spirit of the Lord. You'll walk into an atmosphere, and all of a sudden you'll just feel like depression. You're like, where does that come from? I ain't depressed. All my bills are paid. I'm married. Sex is good. I shouldn't be depressed. It's like, where is that coming from? And it's like all of a sudden after you've walked with God long enough, you begin to discern, oh, that's not me. That's what's in the atmosphere. Now I need to pray against it. I need to ask heaven's joy to come. Does that make sense? God will oftentimes, now the key is to learn how to discern. How do I discern when it's me and when it's the pizza that I ate last night? This is where John 10 comes into play because yes, the shepherd wants to spend time with the sheep. We need the sheep to want to spend time with the shepherd. One of the major ways that you begin to discern what's God's voice is through scripture and through spending time in his presence. You will not discern what is the voice and the will of the Lord if you don't spend time with him. And you need to spend time, especially if you're an empath, because many of you who are empaths, you think sometimes the spirit of the Lord is speaking to you, and really it's the brokenness of your soul. I've watched people do this. I talked about this last week, but I grew up in kind of church where people were prophetically petty. Uh, And so they weren't really prophetic at all, but they'd say stuff like, ooh, something about her. Just the spirit. There's a spirit on her. I just, just the Lord. That's not the Lord. You've been hurt by somebody that she reminds you of. And because you don't know how to discern your brokenness from the voice of the Lord, you mess up somebody else's day. In the words of Tabitha Brown, have a good day. And if you can't, don't mess up anybody else's. But if you don't begin to heal the broken places in your soul, it'll make it difficult to hear from the Lord in your senses. But one of the ways that God uses to speak to us is through our sensories. One of the other ways is through community. Now, I mentioned this scripture before, but in the council of multitudes, there is wisdom. Many of you would not have to hear God as strongly as you do if you would be vulnerable and invite other people to hear God with you. There are some people who can hear God in seasons when I can't. I find, uh, Sister Faith, that a lot of times that the voice of God is almost like a mirror. Uh, or excuse me, not a mirror. It's almost like being able to see yourself. It's like I can see everybody else in this room, but I can't see myself. And sometimes it becomes difficult to hear what the Lord is wanting to speak to me, especially if I have chaotic things going on in my life. And in those seasons, I am not afraid. If you're friends with me, you know I'm needy. Don't say amen. Please don't say amen. <laughs> I felt it prophetically coming. Don't say Amen. I was in the kitchen one time with a friend, and I was just being super needy. And they said to me, they said, man, you're so needy, Dell." And I said, you said that like it's a bad thing. I said, yeah, you're so needy. I said, we're all needy. I just have the courage to admit it. Some of you need to be needy. You're afraid to be a burden because many of you were raised in parents who've been trying to get you not to be a burden. But if you're going to have deep, meaningful relationships, you're going to have to learn how to be a burden, even as it concerns the problems of life when you need to hear the word of the Lord. You've got to learn to invite other people in to hear God on your behalf. If you believe that, say yes. One of the other ways, and, and or excuse me, let me deal with this. And now you, you've been hearing me talking about the soul. There's a term that I use. It's, I, I use it. It's called soulish prophecy. 
Now, we're made up of three parts. You're made up of your flesh, your spirit, and your body. Your flesh was given to you because your two parents had a twinkle in their eye, put their DNA together, and created you. Your spirit was divinely instilled in you. According to Jeremiah 29, 11, it was instilled in you before your mother's womb. Your spirit was given directly from God. Where does my soul come from? And when I'm talking about the soul, I'm talking about the seat of your emotions, the place where you decide. Many of you think that you like, you know, rice or some kind of dish because it's culturally what I like. But I can introduce you to black people who grew up culturally in Japan who don't like soul food, don't like black. I know it's this. It hurt my feelings, too. Um, Why? Because even the things that you like, some of it is physical and in your DNA, but some of it is just because of how you were raised. Your soul, watch this, is given to you by the shaping of experiences in life. The things that you go through shape your soul. Many of you don't like men because you've had enough men hurt you. Your Your soul has been shaped. Here's the goodness of God. He can reshape it. He really can. And I say this because some of us are are prophesying from a soulish place and not a spiritual place. What's the difference? When I filter it, I've seen it happen. Stand up, Gina. I've, I've been in meetings where they say, the Lord shows me that he's about to give you a house, two cars, and 15 kids, you know. And he's prophesying over someone who's 75 years old, three months behind rent, can't spell capital, and, um, and here's what's happening, because I've, I've watched it happen. What he's seeing is the desire in her soul. She wants the house. She wants the car. And because I can't discern between what I'm feeling or sensing because I'm empathetic and I just know what they want. And I watch this happening in counseling sessions where somebody will tell you the problem. you be like, oh, you know, it's just, it's okay. And it's just, I get that. But every now and then, you've got to discern that the spirit might want to do something that comes in opposition of the gentleness of their soul. But if you haven't gotten healed, if you haven't worked out the dysfunction, deep calls on the deep. My soul is going to call to her soul. And what we want to do is transition to a place where I'm seeing by way of the spirit, because sometimes the spirit will tell me things that their soul doesn't like. All right, let me rush through this because I got 10 more minutes. Are y'all still hanging with me? One of the other ways that God speaks is through dreams. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. Yo, Andrew, I like your Bible, man. How could you afford this? I know how much you get paid. I'm just missing. Acts chapter 16, look at verses 6 through 9. And they went through the region of that place in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Wait, watch that. Haven't been forbidden to speak the, the word in Asia. Now, here's why. And just hold off for a second, Josh. You can chill there because you make me look better. But now, didn't Jesus tell them to preach the word in all of the world? But if Paul hadn't been discerning of the spirit, he wouldn't have known that actually God has a different word than what he told him pre- previously. It's so important because here's what God's trying to get you to do. He doesn't want you to trust in his word. He wants you to trust in him. That's the whole goal. That's why he wants, that's why discerning of the spirit and learning what he's saying doesn't come from a few practical teachings. It comes from you getting to know him. The goal is to get to know him. Let's keep reading. Verse 7. 
And when they had come to uh, that place, they attempted to go into that place, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by that place, they went to Troas, and a vision, watch this, appeared to Paul in the night. Now, I point out this scripture, and you can do more studies. I just want to give you an example that even in the New Testament, there is the using of visions for God to begin to speak to people. But here it says visions in the night, which indicates that it's a dream. God actually speaks to your dreams. A lot of those dreams you need to start writing down. I know it seems crazy, but two years from now, you're going to look back and see how God was speaking to you. A lot of those dreams are from the Lord. One of the other ways that God speaks is through visions. Turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. Oh, man, I just love the way of flipping of the Bible feels. It's been a minute. I'm using iPads. New Age Church. Acts chapter 10, verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry. Somebody say amen. And wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. Now, this is the vision where, and we thank God for this vision, where God tells Peter to eat meat. (laughs) Pork, a lot of it. (laughs) And everybody said, thank you. Um, (laughs) But but what Peter's experiencing, and I want to give you some terminology. He's experiencing, write this down, he's experiencing an open vision. Now, there are two types of visions that the Lord will speak to you through because some of you are seeing visions from the Holy Spirit and you don't know it yet because nobody's identified it for you. Now, Peter is experiencing an open vision. What's an open vision? It's where you're taken aback and it's almost like a movie and you're taken out of almost your body or the space that you're in and God, you just start seeing stuff. Now, this has happened to me one time in my life. I don't share it too often. I've been sharing it recently, though. And I had a, a special moment. But we were getting ready for a Collide conference. I won't say the um, worship leader that we were going to have because they haven't come back because of this dream. We were in my living room uh, back in the day, and we were preparing for the conference the following day. And uh, I needed to go to sleep so I can get some rest. And the rest of the team were working on registration and different things. And so when I went to my room, I laid down, and almost within five minutes, I felt an earthquake, almost like a six-point-something earthquake, a real dramatic one. It lasted for, I don't know, four, four or five minutes. I'm not sure the amount of time. But as I'm laying on my bed, I'm kind of like freaking out because, okay, what do I do? But I can't move. I'm just kind of stuck. And instantly... It goes from me being able to see my walls and my ceiling. No more orange walls, so he, I, I no longer could see it. And I was taken into an open vision where it was almost like a movie, and it didn't even last very long. I saw a dark whirlwind, or um, what do you call those things they have in t- Tulsa? Tornado. It was like a huge tornado. It was gray. It was black. And I began to see faces and bodies of famous preachers and famous worship leaders. And they began to sink down and down and down. And after the, the vision was over, I kind of jolted myself together. I ran outside because I wasn't aware that it was a vision quite yet. I thought maybe I was in a dream state and something weird was happening. I ran out to my team and I said, hey, did you guys feel that earthquake? Why are you guys so calm? And they looked at me like I was crazy. I said, what earthquake? I said, we just had a five-minute earthquake. You guys didn't feel that? And they said, no. And I knew instantly that it was the Lord. And I went back to my room and I began to pray. And the Lord said, remember what I saw you. 
What, remember what I showed you, because many in this day are going to begin to lose their ministries in the fall. I won't say the names of who they are, but every single one that I saw in that vision, one by one, have been caught in some type of sinful act, have lost their ministry, lost their church, one even overdosed of drugs. I don't fully know why the Lord showed me all of what he showed me, but I was able in that moment to discern that open visions are one way that God uses to begin to speak but then there are also visions, and we call these people seers. And what begins to happen is that you get a picture. Uh, close your eyes for a moment. Everybody in the room, close your eyes. I want you, as your eyes are closed, keep your eyes closed. Keep your eyes closed. I want you to picture a tree, a large tree. I want you to make the tree purple. Uh, make it purple in the leaves. Purple, purple in the leaves. Keep your eyes closed. And a brown trunk. If you can see a tree that has purple leaves and a brown trunk, can you raise your hand? Let me see. Okay. Everybody open up your hand. When I talk about visions, generally speaking, what I'm talking about is what you just experienced, except for the Spirit of the Lord uses it to show you. And so it's not an open vision. You get taken away in a movie. No, no, no. It's more like an imagination almost. And you have to begin to walk with the Lord long enough to discern when he's wanting to speak to you. I've had moments. There was this young lady who came into a coffee shop that we were housed at, and we were praying for people and ministering. And when she came in, I saw her, and she had beautiful red hairs, curly, about this long, white lady. She came in with her little nine-year-old daughter. And when she walked in, instantly I saw her behind a, um, what are the things you ladies go to the shop to get your hair done? She, I saw her behind one of those seats in a salon. That's what it's called. <laughs> Y'all need to get prophetic so you know what I'm preaching about. <laughs> but instantly I, I, I saw an imagination, not an open vision. Just I pictured her behind a thing. And I've walked with the Lord long enough to be able to discern when I know it's the Lord and not. So I said, hey, can I pray for you? Because I'll pray for you in a coffee shop or altar call, in the bathroom. I don't care. <laughs> if the Lord's there, his power's there, and I'll be there. And I said, can I pray for you? She said, Absolutely. Uh, we had signs up that day, and one said dream interpretation. The other one said uh, spiritual cleansing, deliverance. And the other one said spiritual readings, prophecy. But you got to talk their language. And people would sit down. And so this lady sat down, and I said, I see. I began to pray. And then I said, you're a, a cosmetologist. You make women beautiful. You're a salon person. And she looked at me, and she shot. And she looked at me, and she says, who's your mediator? Mediator? What are you talking about? She's like, you're medium, right? It's like, no, I'm kind of a large. <laughs> Depends on the brand. I had no clue what she was talking about. I didn't know anything about the occult or psychics. She said, no, no, no. Who's the person that you use? Because you, how did you know that? I said, what do you mean? Who's the middle person? Oh, have you heard of Jesus? <laughs> and she said, oh, 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 you're religious. I said, can we pray some more? She said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I began to prophesy over and I began to say, because all of a sudden I saw a picture of a man and in my imagination. And I said, um, and when I saw the picture of the man, I felt in my spirit like that empathy and I felt sadness. And so I said, um, and I was very bold because when you learn how to discern the Lord, you can walk more in boldness. And so I said to her, I said, um, there's a man who just left you and you don't know what you're going to do and you're scared about how you're going to pay your bills. But I just want you to know you're going to be all right. Tears begin. To f if you're a prophet, you're like, yes, yes, yes. Tears. <laughs> we got it. On the inside, I, was, I mean, outside, is like, yes, 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 Lord. Inside, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> prophesy more. Y'all got an honest pastor. And so we begin to prophesy, and then towards the end, because prophecy and the gift without presenting Jesus is a waste. Listen, we're going to feed people. 
We're going to clothe the homeless, I promise you, but we're going to give them Jesus. Yeah. That's what we've been called to do. And so I said to her, I said, um, you know that medium you've been talking about? Let me talk to you about Jesus. I began to talk to her about Jesus. Towards the end of it, I asked her, I said, do you want to accept Jesus? And she said, yes, she accepted Jesus. I said, do you mind if I pray for you one more time? And I explained to her, sometimes when we touch people, there's a special thing that God does. And she's, she was a spiritualist and all this weird stuff. She's like, touch me, go for it. And I was like, okay, lady, calm down, breathe. And I, I, I touched her, just touched my hand on her hand. And in the middle of this coffee shop in Hayden Ashbury, she jumps up and screams, ah, what in the dot, 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 was that? What did you do? What? And I looked at her and I said, because I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, oh, Lord, now we're going to have to cast out some demons. Here we go. I ain't no punk, but in the middle of the hate Ashbury coffee shop. And the funny thing about San Francisco is everybody's used to spiritual stuff and all that <laughs> stuff. We're so scared of it in the church, but the world's like, bring it, you know? And so I looked at her and I, I said, did it feel good or did it feel bad? She said, that was the most amazing high I've ever had. I said, that was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm beginning to lead her to the Lord. And that moment was birth because I was able to discern that this wasn't just a picture or an imagination, that God actually used it. And here's what is the scary thing. I hear so many people tell me about what God won't do. I believe in having solid theology. I just think you ought to build it with a window in it, just in case you might have missed it. And I hear people saying, well, God will never do that. He made a prophet eat his food off of human dung and another one run around naked for about a year. He held the sun still. Uh, he, he walked through a freaking wall in the upper room when he could have just knocked on the door. Don't tell me what God won't do. He'll do what he's God. He'll do whatever he wants to. And I need you to hear that because God's going to speak to you yeah. in ways that he's not speaking to me. Yes, sir. And you need to be open to it. All right. Let me wrap this up. Audibly, I don't have enough time to go into that. But in that vision that I told you about, the open vision, I heard the voice of the Lord. There's been one other time that I won't talk about where I heard the voice of God and I, I didn't know it was the voice of God. I looked around and I thought it was somebody else's voice. Come to find out it was the word of the Lord. God speaks audibly. I want to knock out a few misnomers when it comes to the word and will of God. Peace is not a sign that you've heard from God and it's not a sign that you're being obedient. I hear people say this, I'll know it's the Lord when he gives me peace. But if you're living in rebellion, you'll never have peace. Gideon, is a great example. God spoke to him what to do, and here's what Gideon said. He didn't have peace about it. He said, okay, God, if this is you, give me confirmation. Because you know what confirmation is in the Hebrew. It means wasn't willing to obey the first time, so tell me a few more times. <laughs> and he says, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put down a fleece, a blanket, and I want it to be dry and everything else around it wet by the next morning. God did that, and then the next morning, he said, I want it to be the opposite. Make it so that the blanket is wet and everything around it is dry, and God did that. He's like, okay, I got but you read the story of Gideon, and from beginning to end, he never has peace. But peace is not a requirement for you to obey. You don't have, I felt that. You don't have to have peace to obey. And I say this because some of our souls are so out of order that we don't trust God. And so even though we're obeying him, we grow in peace as we learn that he's good. And we learn that he's good by going through, because let me tell you what faith feels like. I'm scared and excited at the same time. Hey, you want to open up a church? Yeah, September 2020. Okay, God, you didn't say anything about the pandemic. 
Okay, Dale, are you excited? I got faith. Oh, so you just know that you can do it. No, no, no. I'm, I'm excited and I'm scared out of my mind. Got peace when you got to pay the bills next month and pay your staff and nobody's tithing. Got peace. I tell you what, I do have a word from the Lord. I don't have to have peace when I have a word from the Lord. Now, I do believe that he'll give us peace that surpasses understanding, but that comes with submission. And submission is not just about how you obey. It's about the obedience of the heart. Is your heart submitted to trusting him? Two more, and then we'll wrap this up. The next thing I want to say is that your understanding is not necessary when it comes to the word of the Lord. Some of us are missing the word of the Lord because we disregard what we don't understand. Sweetie, you don't understand why your kids do what they do. You think you understand the Lord? His ways are higher than yours. His thoughts are higher than yours. I remember when the Lord would say stuff like that, I thought, man, he's God, I mean, you're God, but that's kind of egotistical. And I thought, man, Lord, what a hypocritical statement to make because you've told us to be humble and here you are bragging, my ways are higher than yours, my thoughts are greater than yours. And here's what the Lord's saying. I'm in a gentle way trying to tell you that you're sheep and I'm the good shepherd. We hear that and it's so endearing. You know sheep are stupid, right? <laughs> I was doing this research about sheep and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> he, he called me sheep? <laughs> and here's what the Lord says. That's why I need you to let me make the decisions because my ways are higher. It's not him being proud. It's him saying, will you just trust me? Because I promise it'll work out. And it might not work out the way that you want it to, but it will work out. So there are some things that God will speak that you won't understand. Why do I have to break up with him? I don't understand, but I'm just going to trust him. Why do I need to leave the job? I don't understand, but I'm just going to trust him. <laughs> some of you came into this church and you're like, man, Dell, he was going to talk my ear off if I didn't move. So I just came and, you know, I felt like the Lord wanted me. I don't know why he wanted me to leave. I was serving at the other church and everything was going good. And you're sitting here and you're like, oh, now I get it. Understand, your understanding will catch up to your obedience. Last one. Oh, last two. Number one, opposition is not a sign that you haven't heard from the Lord. Daniel had heard a word from the Lord and he was contending for it. And for 21 days there, he was fasting. And, and the Bible says that when the angel showed up, he said, we heard you when you first prayed, but it took us 21 days because we had to fight the Prince of Persia. There was warfare happening. And many of us take opposition, closed doors as a sign that it's not the Lord. This is why you need discernment because there are some doors that he closes, but then there are other doors that the devil closes. We got folks in our church, and you don't know about this, but we got folks trying to make it hard for us to rent a building. I'm not taking that as opposition from the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? You've got to be able to discern when opposition is from God because he'll give you an exhaustion if you keep fighting and it's not him, but he'll give you strength if, if you're fighting against the enemy. Does that make sense? And then the last one, and here's where we end it. Many of us, uh, we take peace as a sign. We take all these things as a sign. But at the end of the day, here you go, Andrew. At the end of the day, many of us don't hear from God because of our faithlessness. Can we be uh, vulnerable for a minute? Mm. Many of us, are, are, our view of who God is was shaped by authority that we were raised by. And I don't mean just parents, but I'm talking about pastors, leaders. Some of us were told that only special people can hear from God. And so we've walked around not believing that God wants to speak to us because we have a bad theology about who he is. 
who am I that God would speak to me? Moses was an orphan. Noah was a drunk. Mary was a single teenager. Peter had anger issues and was a teenager. Paul was killing the same people that he was getting ready to save. Jonah had to get free willy to understand free will. Yeah, you can choose whatever, but God's going to have his way at the end of the day. Leah was too ugly. Josiah was too young. There was one king who was too fat. I forget his name. Joshua and Caleb were too old. And Jesus was too radical. I say this because no matter what excuse that you make as to why you can't divinely hear from God, why you can't be called by God, there's somebody that you can find between Genesis, Revelation, or the book of Maps who will teach you that your excuse is not valid. I don't care what it is. It's just not valid because he desires to speak to you because he's a good shepherd. Not just a shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He knows how to click the tone of his voice in just the right way to speak to you right where you are. The question I have for you is, do you believe it? Because if you start believing that God can speak, those little inklings in the middle of the night, you'll start saying, that's you, Lord. If you'll believe that God can speak to you and not just your pastor, you'll start hearing the sermons with a different ear because you'll hear stuff I'm not preaching. Many of you need to heal your relationship with the good shepherd because you don't believe that he's good. You believe he's a shepherd. He's going to tell you what to do. He's going to herd you in life. But could it be that he's gooder than that? I know that's not good English, but could it be that he's gooder than that? 